giant sized. Incoming transmission. Engage house party protocol. Mark 4, powering up. Mark 17, powering up. Mark 44, powering up. All suits are online. Welcome to house party protocol. Power up suits and welcome in to another episode of House Party Protocol. My name is Will and with me today, coming all the way from sunny California, I assume it's sunny there because it's California and all the marketing says sunny, is the one and only Binks. What's happening, my guy? Hey man, uh, right coast, wrong state, uh, Oregon. Oh, darn it. Uh, so, so actually 45 degrees and rainy today, but uh, <laughs> you know, I'm from Oregon, so if I didn't love that, I would move. Uh, so it is just as good as if I were in California. Well, there you go. Yeah. So my bad on that. I actually um, used to play some video games when I was really big into Destiny and Destiny 2. And one of my good buddies lives in Oregon now near Portland. And mm-hmm. uh, he and I used to play video games together all the time. And back in the day, we actually had a fantasy football podcast together many, many moons ago. So... I don't even know if it's still available for download anywhere. I think I think it's, you know, in the ether now. But uh, yeah, it's it's a place I've never been, but it's one of those places that I, I love to travel. So where should I go if I go to Oregon? Um, Like if you're looking for like a game store, we've got Mox and Red Castle are both awesome. If you're looking for good food, the best food I've ever eaten is in the Fifth Avenue building. Um, there's a restaurant on the top of it called Portland City Grill. Um, and I'm a huge foodie. I make a lot of my own food. Um, and so that's high praise, I think, coming from me. Nice, nice. Yeah, I am not particularly a foodie. For me, it's, uh, you know, chicken tendies and pizza. But you know what? I pride myself on my chicky tendies when I do make them at home. They're pretty there tasty. <laughs> so, Banks, tell the suits out there a little bit about yourself, how you got M- MCP, how you've kind of gaming journey, all that stuff. And then we'll get into uh, the news because we got to talk about a little something that got announced. And then we'll get into the meat and potatoes of what I think is going to be an incredible episode. I agree with you. I think it's going to be super exciting. Yeah. So uh, I guess the really short story about my gaming history. So when I was young, like 12 to 16, I played StarCraft Brood War, Um, not competitively, but like I played Infinite Money Maps, but I pushed my builds really hard. Uh, so I thought I was being competitive, right? Right. And then I played Warcraft 3 actually competitively, and uh, I peaked like top 10 on the ladder there. Um, and then lots of fighting game history, and then card games. So I played Yu-Gi-Oh! for a long time. Uh, so I think competition is just sort of where I live. Uh, it's my favorite. And then this is actually my first competitive war game. I got into it at the start of COVID. I started painting Warhammer. Um and then I played one game of Warhammer with my brother-in-law and decided that the actual playing of that game wasn't for me, but I was still really <laughs> enjoying painting. Yeah. And uh, I saw some MCP models, uh, mostly Beast, I think, was was the first model that really captured my attention. Yeah. And uh, so I went and I bought Amazing Spider-Man, Beast, Rogue, and, uh, and I started painting them. And then I started listening to your podcast and uh, entered that first painting competition. The ASM from way back then was mine. 
Oh, wow. Um, and, and yeah. And since then, I've just kind of been playing on TTS and doing some local stuff. Uh, I think my most impressive uh, achievement competitively here so far in MCP is uh, I got second place at a LVO qualifier with 24 people. Um, I got really lucky, and I was playing X-Men with Hulk, and uh, Hulk carried me. Uh, by by dicing everybody who was better than me, and I <laughs> won priority a lot, and um, and yeah, so I'm just uh, looking to get better and think about the game and have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, that's awesome. It's interesting to see coming from the RTS video game side into MCP and war gaming in general, and that's something that I take for granted about my own history. I feel like because. When I've, I haven't talked a lot about how I got into this game in a long time and wargaming in general, but like those RTS games from back in the day, you know, Warcraft 3, Starcraft, all that stuff. Like I did the, um, oh my gosh, what was it? Uh, Warhammer 40k Dawn of War. Like <laughs> all of those kind of games really lend themselves to, if you do want that hobby aspect, moving into this hobby of miniatures war games and uh it's it's an interesting interesting kind of overlap there so that's really cool that you came from that and then you know playing x-men at an event with hulk i mean that just sounds like a fun slash nightmare scenario for the opponents <laughs> yeah yeah there's definitely um there was a few opponents who definitely really knew what they were doing and they were able to play around stuff really well, but then then Hulk would just do, you know, nine successes on seven dice, and what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there were some opponents that just obviously hadn't played pay to flips very much, and my two-threat Widow would just double move across and steal a point, and I, I think I won one game, like, 16 to 3. Oh, um, nice. I felt so bad for that guy. I won every contested flip. He missed, like, one end contested flip on one of my points that he tried to go for. Yeah. And just, and he had an Immortal Hulk, um, and, and like, I think all of his points were from the extract on that Immortal Hulk that I just ignored otherwise. And, um, and that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, it just be like that sometimes, you know, it's, uh, yep. I, I've definitely had my fair share of games where spider portals decided not to flip for me. Uh, d just ask one absolute Matt, uh, over there at the gamers guild. He'll tell you all <laughs> about it. We played a game and it was one of those things where the strategy was sound. The pay to flips were not flipping those. <laughs> It'd just be like that, you know? And it's like, yeah. Oh, and by the way, I'm rolling skull every time. So good, good, good fun. <laughs> so Binks, you mentioned being more on the competitive side and for those of you that might be new to House Party Protocol, I try to strike a balance between competitive, casual, beginner-friendly, more competitive discussions. And today's discussion, our main topic today, might seem like something that you can use only in a competitive environment. But I want to challenge people that might be a little bit newer to the game to look at characters in the ways that we're going to be describing them today and not necessarily try to look at it from a competitive perspective, but just think about how when you're playing a game of MCP, you know, we all want to play for fun and have fun, whether we're playing competitive or just casual, synergistic, whatever you want to call it. We all, and we all want to win, right? So trying to look at characters through a different lens to see if it can kind of maybe unlock something for them is going to kind of be one of the ways we're uh, talking about different characters today. 
But before we get into that, the last thing I want to mention, because it is a competitively focused thing, is we do have the official rules and characters for the upcoming timeline events. And we're not going to get deep into the discussion on that today because I've got a, a whole thing planned trying to do a round table with like three or four other people. So hopefully that'll be a super good thing. But Binks, I want to get your opinion on this overall timeline thing because for me, does it does it really seem like my kind of thing? Uh, I'm in the exact same boat. I think it's exciting that they're testing something new. Uh, I think this particular format, this particular rule set, isn't the most exciting thing that I would have liked to have seen. Uh, but I think it's a good first step towards trying to provide some support for alternate formats. And there are some things that I do like about it. I just think that, um, and I hope I'm wrong, I'm probably wrong, right? Like, this is a very complicated game, but I think that we're going to end up in a very over-centralized game based on my initial read-through. Yeah, I think that within those events specifically, there's there's enough variety. I think they left us with like 70-something characters out of the over 120 characters that we have, which is a lot of variety. But the way, the quick overview that the timeline does, if you haven't read it yet... Basically, you have to make three full rosters. So that's 10 characters, 10 tactics cards, six crisis cards. So three full rosters. And then you have like a set time that you play those, right? And you so the thing that gets really difficult about it, in my opinion, is the fact that you can't have any overlap. That's like the biggest thing, right? Mm -hmm. So like, let's say you want Beast in your X-Men roster, but he's also Avengers and Inhuman affiliated. So you've got to decide where you want Beast. And I do think that there's some interesting kind of puzzle connecting there that you can do. But the problem that I have with it is I've got to have 30 models, three rosters full of, full of characters. And for someone that doesn't paint as much as they probably should, that's going to be really <laughs> difficult. <laughs> yeah, I'm lucky that's not my issue. I, I'm, uh, I'm, one, I'm, I'm lucky enough that I was able to get a, a hold of all the models in the game and paint you know probably more than half of them at this point but but even then i feel like bringing 30 models to an event is a big ask i think that's one of the main things uh advantages of being a skirmish game is that you only need to bring 10 12 models yes anyway uh, which i really like and then i think i think having to share crisis and tactics uh really warps the way certain characters and certain rosters are going to be constructed uh, so I'm just not sure how that's going to look. Yeah, agree. But uh, Suits, if you're looking forward to a bigger discussion on this topic, hopefully that will be next week uh, right here on House Party Protocol. We're looking at at getting a few people, like I said, I don't want to, I haven't figured out exactly who all it's going to be just yet, but looking at getting a few people on to discuss it uh, with a lot of varied opinions because it's something that I think is going to really shape MCP, unlike some of the other formats that we've seen come out from AMG, I think that this one is one that is going to have a bigger impact than the previous ones like Battle Realms and Collector and stuff. So, yeah, one good thing about this format, too, is I've heard some people talk about doing team formats 
with 3v3s, um, where you would match up your roster ones versus your opponent's roster one. Um, And then so that would make it like a four round thing, which could be done in a day. And I think that's really exciting because then you have some cool matchup things you can do where like, oh, the the person who brought brace, like we can put them into the throw guy. Right. Um, And I think that makes it a super exciting thing where you kind of combine like the WTC format with this. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that that'll be super cool. People who take it in that direction. Yeah, and I think that that's really what is going to end up happening is the community is going to take this as a framework and then expand upon it, and and I think that's where it's going to shine. But speaking of things that shine, so Binks, you've been listening to this podcast for a little while now. I don't know if you caught the episode I did a long time ago now where I discussed archetypes and kind of looking at what the different archetypes of characters were. It's been a while. I don't even know if you can still even find it on Apple Podcasts because Apple Podcasts only goes back 100 episodes, which is weird to say that I have more than 100. (laughs) But the idea of that was kind of what we're going to talk about today and our main topic, and that is evaluating MCP characters and kind of ways to look at them before you put them on the table, and then also once they're on the table, ways to evaluate what they do best and how to get the most out of them. And so I bring up that Architects episode because there was a little bit of that in there, and that was when there were significantly less characters than there are now. And I think talking about this and evaluating characters, character evaluation as a concept is something that someone like me who's been playing this game since it came out, you know, I can look at a character, read their abilities and stuff and kind of make a determination on whether or not I think that character is going to be above or below the curve on the tabletop. But for Mm -hmm. other players, that can be a really difficult thing to do. And I also want to say that before we get too deep into this discussion, when you're evaluating a character, you can read the card and understand how something works all day long. But until you get that character on the tabletop, though, you really don't get the true sense of how a character is going to perform. But coming at a character from a a preconceived notion, if you will, that's where this kind of discussion, I think, helps is to say, okay, what do I think this character is going to do well? And then how do I try to put them in a position to succeed and stuff like that? Would you agree that that's kind of how we're going to have this discussion today? Yeah, I I 100% agree. And I think that when you read a character, you can kind of get an idea like based on past things, right? Like I know that two five dice attacks with no modification has an average damage that I've seen enough times to where I can tell you if a character that has that is going to be a killy character or not killy character, right? So mm-hmm. So I think that your point is 100% accurate. There, there are characters, like I'll tell you one that, that I didn't evaluate correctly is Pyro. Yeah. Um, and I feel like he has a lot of hidden power that is not obvious when you read his card or even the first couple times you play him. I think he's one where, where you're going to see somebody play him a certain way and be like, oh, this is, this is what Pyro does. This is why everybody thinks he's so good. Yeah. Right. So I think you're right. I think characters are just going to have their own strengths based on based on that and that you're going to get a good idea and categorize them and yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So uh, Pyro is a really good example. I remember I played a TTS matchup a long time ago now where someone was playing Hydra and like I'd played Hydra locally a little bit uh, against Hydra anyways. And mm-hmm. yeah, I play Pyro plenty and, and all that stuff. And I was like, I kind of knew what the shtick was. This dude dismantled me, just completely dismantled me. And I was like, man, that is some high level Hydra play with a sprinkle of Pyro in there for good measure. It was, it was a good game. It was a really good game. So anyways, anyways, let's dive in to this main discussion here with evaluating characters. So Binks, shout out to you. <laughs> Thank you so much for, you've really done a lot of work here with this topic and we've got a really sweet outline thanks to you. So let's just start at the top here and talking about characters. We've got a list of characters here that we we talk about different kind of roles and stuff like that. And when we're looking at these characters, the first thing you have here is find its mission. And what do you mean by that? Yeah, so I think that every character in the game, in a competitive roster, the goal is to score you points, right? Points are how you win the game, unless you're going to table your opponent, which I think is rare. I don't think you can plan for that. Because yeah. that's dice reliant, right? Yes. So so every character has a role, and that role is going to get, to get you points in some way. So there are characters who will keep other characters alive. There are characters who are really good at standing on secures. There are characters who are really good at getting extracts safely. There are, really, there are characters who are good at surviving with an extract. There are characters that can steal extracts. And there are characters that can stop other people from scoring by displacing them or killing them, which is the best displacement. Oh, yeah. And, um, and yeah, and so I think that's sort of how you define your character's mission. And I came up with five, and it was very difficult to fit characters into five. There's probably a way to go further than this. But I think that this is a good framework to think of for most people, and I think it'll work for the majority of the cast. Yeah, and I think that the five you have here, so the five you have, you've got a a kind of the roles are defender, controller, skirmisher, enabler, and captor. And mm-hmm. I think you did a really good job here with each of these different roles. And we're going to go through each one and talk about some different characters within each one and stuff like that. And as we go through suits, what I want you to do is think about other characters that you think could fit into these buckets and then also think about characters that might overlap between buckets, because that's the thing I think that MCP does so well is while a character might have a specific kind of role, there is enough overlap, I think, for certain characters that they can do a lot of different things with the with the characters and what they do on the tabletop and stuff like that. So first up, let's let's just start at the top here with a defender type and when you think of a defender role, Banks, what does that mean to you? Sure. So the defender role to me, I think there's sort of two, two ways a defender can work. So one is they can weaken your opponent's damage output. So characters like Thor, Dynamo, uh, where you can shock people. And then there are probably some overlap between characters that can push. Uh, so maybe a Cyclops or a Sam might be a semi-defender, but I don't think they're quite tanky enough to do that role but generally they're just keeping your other characters alive by by halting your opponent's attrition so that can be splitting damage by redirecting attacks lowering the damage dice of your opponent re-rolling your opponent's successes things like that 
Yeah, you've you mentioned a couple of good things there. Redirecting attacks such as bodyguard. Or would you consider something like a too dangerous to ignore as a part of a defensive ability? Because when I think of that, it's like, okay, cool. I might lose Honey Badger or Luke Cage, but to the point of a defender, it's keeping my other characters alive. They're not necessarily that they're more valuable, but maybe they're scoring me points in a different way. And Luke Cage, Honey Badger, or even Black Dwarf, keeping these other characters alive has that value. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And I think there are situations where um, a model like Honey Badger that you mentioned you could make a play where you move a two-power Honey Badger. You just double move them up next to someone that's going to attack. And they have a choice to make. They can either move and attack the model they want, and they're going to lose an attack. Or they can attack Honey Badger. And if you have, you know, if they don't do four damage, then that they could have to attack her twice, right? Yeah. So that's a huge risk. Um, so she's a great example of what a defender can do. Yeah, and what's interesting is using her as an example here, when we go through this, I think she fits into a couple of buckets that we're going to describe here. So keep her in the back of your mind, because she's one of those characters that I think is, as a two-threat, a very versatile two-threat. So Yeah, yeah, she's almost a skirmisher. She's probably an enabler, right? She yep. powers up your other team members really well. Yep, exactly. So you also mentioned re-rolling characters' successes. So Obviously, Crimson Dynamo is the king of this. Yes. And yeah, and I think he's the quintessential defender right now. I think if I was going to pick a defender, I think the I think if you want to pick one character that's going to lower the time to kill, it's Dynamo. Yeah, and I want to get your opinion on why that is in just a second, but the really interesting thing that you were talking about there is looking at certain status conditions as a defensive benefit. Right. Mm -hmm. So shock mm -hmm. as an example, you know, the, the shtick was shock Immortal Hulk, shock the uh, Malekiths of the world, the cosmic ghost riders of the world, you know, shock these big beaters. And it's like, mm -hmm. is that one die on seven dice really make that much of a difference? And I'm admittedly not sure on the math of how much of a difference it makes, but like going from seven to six to me doesn't feel like a big difference. But really where the shock condition shines is going from five down to four or six down to five. To yeah, me, four to three is crippling. Exactly. Right? And that four down to three is just brutal. Mm -hmm. I, I can't tell you how many times I've had a, a four dice attack character shocked. And I'm just like, well, I don't even want to roll these dice. This is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think... I think doing a three dice stack is literally never the correct decision. I think that you shake and move or shake and attack or move, move. I think that's what I often end up doing with my three threat shocked four dice characters. Yeah. Is move, move. Yeah. So with that kind of condition idea, are there any other conditions that you see as defensive benefits for the rest of the team? Ooh, that's a super great call out. Yeah, so Hex, obviously, super strong, right? Black Cat and Domino, you can see that in, in how they act defensively. Yeah. Uh, both of those characters can just live through things that are absurd because removing crits removes a lot of the big spikes. Uh, and those big spikes getting over one defense or zero defense rolls, that's what kills models in this game in one attack, right? And that's really what you want to avoid. You know, I think two attacks 
is likely today's most models, you know, if they're similar threat levels, regardless of it. Like, whether it's just two five dice, you know, I think it's better than a coin flip, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, the attackers always have the advantage. Yeah, yeah, so I mean, so I think, yeah, so just not getting one shot, that's where, like, your big leads come. Because if you do get one shot, which happens, you know, five dice attack just kills a, a three threat sometimes. Oh, yeah. You know, then they're gaining a movement, and that's really powerful, because then they're ahead of you in tempo on on getting to the next significant objective yeah um and so i think avoiding one shots is 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 the most important thing and then another condition that i think is defensive that doesn't feel defensive is stun i think one of the comeback mechanics in this game is getting lots of power and on those big power turns you have a lot of damage so if you're stunned and you don't have a lot of power um you're throwing five dice stacks not eight dice stacks right yeah yeah no i i think stun is super great and trying to leverage the few characters that have access to a before damage is dealt stun is just sweet money in the bank when you're able to like with spider woman okay cool well i didn't do any damage but i did roll a wild so guess what you're stunned <laughs> it's the I best her under steve three and i hit the triple wild one attack uh two days ago and it uh, was so fun that's that sounds <laughs> so gross stun and shock oh beautiful yeah yeah so about that character that you brought to this table to play that game well they're not playing anymore <laughs> yeah poor, poor daredevil oh man it was daredevil too oh sad day. sad day yeah. yeah but and like stun is another one another one that i think is interestingly defensive and i and that's the thing about the condition game in mcp is they can all be simultaneously defensive and offensive not all of them but you know shock's not really offensive but you can look at them in a kind of two different lights and i think from playing as many web warriors as i have the slow condition is a nice one to slow down your opponent's mobility but i wouldn't call that so much as a defensive condition but the one that i think can be low-key defensive is mm -hmm. bleed because if you put your opponent in a position to where they have to shake a bleed or get dazed, it can really make for tough decision-making. And I think part of playing in a defensive style or using defensive kind of abilities is making your opponent have to make difficult choices. That, that to me, is the, the, the key about defensive things. And so bleed saying, like, okay, cool, you've you're on one or two health and now you've really got to choose like are you are you really going to let this character potentially daze or be there on one health holding two objectives you know what i mean yeah and you know i think there's one more condition that that probably the majority of the suits have been screaming at their phones for the last two minutes about I, I purpose stagger. yeah i purposefully let that go so that they could scream for a second <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah stagger for sure i mean that is the quintessential number one primo top tier defensive ability in my humble opinion yeah i, I think you're right yeah i mean look denying your opponent an action is uh <laughs> it doesn't get any sweeter than that it does not no yeah. and i think that's yeah staggers oh yeah so with the defender category and and we mentioned dynamo specifically so i want to come back to him and forcing mm -hmm. your opponent to re-roll certain dice do you feel like that Dynamo being that top tier defender because of that ability? Like he doesn't have the redirecting attacks. He doesn't have the, you know, well, he has like damage reduction, which is a great ability. But but for what he brings to the table and the zone 
that he can control with that reroll. Do you feel like it's, it's maybe too powerful, or do you feel like because the fact that you have to spend it before dice are rolled, that's what makes it kind of in line? Um, I mean, I, I think that the play rates and and the people you see running this character points to him maybe being too powerful. But I don't think that he's super out of line, and I think that we need him. Uh, I think that I think that it kind of sucks to see Dynamo on every E shape. I think that if uh, some offensive teams should probably be running some Bs more often than they are. Yeah. Um, and then that would help them get around Dynamo, and I think it would just balance the game experience as a whole a little more. I think we would just we would have less games that feel the same, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because almost every game of MCP I've ever played is great. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but I think Dynamo is probably just on the strong side. But I mean, I can't think of anything on his card that I would change except for maybe I could see reducing his beam to a size three. Yeah. Yeah, I could see something like that. And for me, it's one of those things where I, I agree with you in that he's very strong, but I think the game needs a character like him that provides that mm-hmm. defensive benefit because there is so much brawling that's going on in the broader spectrum of the game right now and you know and obviously everyone's local meta is going to be different than what mine is or what yours is or what the internet's is all of that stuff but i think a character like dynamo is one where because things are so so brawly and fighty and you mentioned you know the earth's mightiest corset steve the way his leadership works being able to have a character like dynamo out there that's like hmm I'm going to need you to re-roll those two wilds or that hit that you got, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. It's it's really nope. strong. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, Dynamo, Dynamo's a king. Um, yeah. But yeah, like like I said, I think he's a little strong. I'm, I'm glad he's in the game, I think. Yeah, and another character that has a similar ability, different but similar, is Amazing Spider-Man. And I used him a lot as a defensive buffer in my games at Warfare Weekend, like whatever character I needed to make sure that I kept alive, that I wasn't going to put Gwen with to Lifesaver, I was like, okay, ASM, you go be over here. And now whenever my opponent rolls some dice, ASM's going to be like, okay, uh, I'm going to crack a joke and you're going to re-roll that. <laughs> oh man, that's such a flavorful ability. I love it. It's um, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So anything else about Defenders? No, I think we covered everything. You know, I think... Um, if we want to talk about like taunt real fast, you know, so that's also another ability we talked about too dangerous to ignore. Yeah. Um, but then, uh, so bodyguard, right. Is the other analogous ability to that. So Colossus used to have that no longer, but, uh, you know, so Steve won, I think that's another strong ability to split damage, but I don't think we need to necessarily deep dive on it. Yeah. I mean, I think bodyguard is a known quantity and it's one of those things where it's, it's very, very obvious of a, um, of a thing, right. You know, yeah, yeah. I think it's very obvious if your character has that, right. then in some way they can likely do the defender role. Yeah, and it's so funny to me that Colossus got changed from bodyguard to too dangerous to ignore taunt type <laughs> ability. Like, uh-huh. it it's so weird to me that, like, I get it, I get it, but I was, it's like, man, he, he would jump in front of that that truck to save his sister. You know what I mean? He totally would. I, yeah, you know, I think they just did it for balance. Yes. Um, Colossus is so good right now. Anyways, yeah, <laughs> that's a whole other thing. You want to talk about defensive characters? Colossus is a, a medium move. Just opened up his game so much. Yeah. Oh man, medium base medium move is my favorite. I, I wish OG Thor had that. I would play him so much. Oh yeah, 
Oh yeah. And then not being able to be moved. So we need to move on speaking of, so (laughs) the next role that we have here is controller. And this is where I kind of, kind of tend to live. My life really is playing a control style game most of the time. Like obviously I played guardians for a little while and they're not so much control, but I really enjoy the control game and looking at characters that can be labeled as controllers, there is also a lot of overlap here. So how would you categorize a controller character? Yeah, so controllers, so my thoughts are reliable push, so reliable displacement, right? Um, So I think you have your throws, so Hulk, Bill, um, you have your pulls, so Gwen, and then you have really reliable pushes, so uh, the builder on Black Panther, I think he's a primo controller. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you mentioned reliable throws and reliable pushes. So would you say that someone like Emma with her triggers to make someone move doesn't really fall into this category? Yeah, I think she has turns where she will control, but I would not classify her as a controller. I think characters like that, those are more skirmishers that just sometimes are going to do it. Um that's just sort of my opinion. I, I think I think if I'm going to plan for a character to perform a role in my game, right? Because that's the whole reason that I'm categorizing them at all is because on the table, I want them to have a job. Yeah. And so if they can only do that job 25% of the time when they move attack or 50% of the time when they move attack, that's not that's not enough for me to pick them for that role. I think that's a really insightful way to look at it is like, if if it's less than 50% of an opportunity that I'm going to do the thing, then it doesn't feel like it's really fitting into the role that I'm, I'm trying to play that character in. And you mentioned a character like Hulk and mm-hmm. I think Hulk is probably the best control piece in the game. Quote unquote, someone out there is saying, well, what about this character? And someone else is saying, but I thought you love sexy strange. And isn't he the best control <laughs> character in the game? And I'm going to say yes, because it's sexy strange. But that's neither here nor there. I think Hulk, low-key, is not Loki, but low-key, is one <laughs> of, if not the best control characters in the game, especially with the changes to Thanos. Yes, definitely. I think there was an argument. I mean, just just pure kit, if we ignore threat, I think Hulk, period, hands down, um, has the most control in his kit. He's got two pushes, super reliable on seven dice. He's got a size four throw that costs that's basically free, um, you know, and he moves really far if he has any power, which he can get because his dice are so good. Right. Yes. So he's going to control people. Yeah. Um, Immortal Hulk is another one. He has almost the same amount of control, actually. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, but he costs a threat more. And that's actually a point that I want to touch on is is uh, later when we're when we're comparing models and talking about model strength, abilities are more valuable at lower threat, um, which we can get into later. But uh, but yeah, I think you're right. I think Hulk's the quintessential controller. Yeah, well, it, it's the reason being, like you said, he's his triggers are wild triggers. You know, he's got to hit a trigger on his push. He's got to hit a trigger for his throw on Hulk smash. But having that size four displacement and the distance that that displacement is, is it's not unique, but the cost benefit of it, you're only paying two power. 
to give someone what is the average move in the game distance away from you. And if you just look at the the discourse around sleeper agent Hulk in Hydra, <laughs> yeah, that should mm-hmm. tell you all you need to know. And it, if you don't know what that discourse is, it basically you play Hulk in Hydra and you give him sleeper agent. And basically he either throws things or kills them. And as long as he kills the thing, he stays as a sleeper agent. And it's size four throws that you cannot brace or use any of your defense attack against are good. Exactly. So it's a, it's a whole thing. It's, it's really good. I I think it's one of those things where it's good, but if you know what's happening, you can kind of work around it, but doesn't make it not good. But it also, I think, really hits the point home of how good of a control piece he can be. And I think that there's a level of control to Hulk's game that maybe goes under the radar. And that is that he's a big model with a big health pool that has defensive rerolls that you just got to deal with. And it's really hard to deal with him. And I think that is a type of control of saying, okay, I have this thing that is going to deal with you if you don't deal with it. Yeah, it definitely limits your opponent's actions. Uh, the fact that he's on a large base too, right? Like there are there are situations where you can block your opponent's movement with Hulk where no other character or only characters on a large base could do it. Yes. Um, and and I think that's that's another form of direct movement control like because you're limiting where your opponent can stand. Yeah. Right? And he's also resistant to other people's controls because he's size four. Yeah. Uh, which makes him better at being in position to use his great control. Yeah. So yeah, lots of advantages for Hulk. Uh, I love that character. Me and me and me and Bruce, we're always on the same page. Nice. Oh yeah, you and Bruce, all, always just lockstep. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when uh, we spent a lot of time talking about Hulk, but I also want to talk about another character here of uh, Gwen or Ghost Spider, as an yeah. example of I, I think another character that provides some incredible control, mainly through webline, but also I think. Again, like a low key way to view control is with that lifesaver ability and how you're basically saying, all right, I'm going to put my Gwen in a position to where you, if you decide to attack this character, she's going to lifesaver. And now your action economy might be a little bit hurt. Not that you lose an action, but like, okay, well, that double tap you thought you were getting, you're now not. And I think that viewing lifesaver through the control and how it not only can control your own model to put them on a point that they might have gotten overextended on or to control your opponent's action economy, I think is an interesting way to look at her. Would you agree with that? Um, yeah. So I think that, uh, that ability specifically is super interesting, right? Cause it has aspects of being a defender. You're reducing damage. It has aspects of enablers. You're helping them get to where they want to be sometimes. Like, I've definitely had situations where, when I was playing Web Warriors, where I would position Gwen in a way towards the center of the board where if my opponent made an attack that might otherwise be good for them, I could web line towards the center uh, to set up for an all-webbed up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think that also there are times where, yeah, where maybe you would use that as control, where somebody attacks you, you pull your character into a place, and then now they can't. They don't have room to get where they wanted to walk after the attack. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's one of those things where I don't think it's like this amazing, you know, super like control thing. I just think it's one of those ways to look at this character. Mm-hmm. And then. That, no, definitely. Yeah. She, she fills, she fills a lot of roles. I mean, there's a reason she's one of the best threes. Yeah, she does. She really does fill a lot of roles. And 
and being able to, you know, on a, on a wing and a prayer, get that push on impact webbing always feels really good. <laughs> oh, dude, that ability. I love, I love pushes on range four attacks. Those are my favorite. The, I play so much Sam. I yeah. think he's made almost every game I've played in the last six months. Yeah. So you bring up Sam and, and that's a character that I, I want to discuss for a second about the control aspect of the game. Would you label him as a controller because of his kind of easy access to pushes or would you put him more in like, he? okay, he's a controller. He is an enabler. He's, he's this and that. We're going to go through again, all these different things, but would you put him in that controller category for that ability? So Sam is an interesting character. I would put him in every category except defender uh, because his kit is so flexible and even he defends himself. Yeah. Um, Sam, a push on damage in general against most characters is going to be better than a push on a wild. Uh, it's more, it's more reliable. Yeah. He has a long range move with a ranged four attack and a two cost charge. And the combination of that gives him a radius of, of being able to attack people and a likelihood of pushing them with two attacks that is actually probably good enough to just straight up consider him a controller. Like there are definitely many games where my plan is to wait and use him last activation and push someone off their secure yeah, just so sure. they don't score it. And, and I think that's reliable enough to save for my last activation for, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. So I think Sam is super popular. He's an enabler uh, because he can move people. Um, maybe he's not a captor, I guess. Uh, so, but he's also a great skirmisher. He's, he's one of the best characters in the game at finishing off somebody on one health. Uh, yeah. He ignores cover. He ignores line of sight, and once again, his radius of where he can attack is is the whole, the entire board. Yeah. No, I'm with you. So yeah, we mentioned skirmisher. That's that's kind of the next one here. And yep. before we go into script, anything else to say about controllers? No, no, I think we covered it. Yeah. Also, sexy strange best controller. Um, <laughs> yeah, sexy strange is great uh, for a lot of reasons. Both stranges actually are fantastic controllers. They really are. They really are. It's it's one of those things. Like I want to I want to say more about it, but I don't know what else I could say at this point other than just the stranges are good. I I played a game this past weekend against uh, Dormammu, and um, I had strange on the board, and it was just like, oh man, this feels so good. This is my home. Like this feels like home. <laughs> I hadn't played yeah, him in a while. Yeah. <laughs> oh, convocation. Uh, that's always been a faction that I wanted to deal with, but I'm just too dumb, dude. I am too dumb for it. But you know what? I just keep beating my head against the wall, hoping that something's going to change. Anyways, <laughs> skirmishers, skirmishers. This yeah. is one that I think is a really interesting kind of discussion point because when I think of a skirmisher, I think of a lot of kind of as a broad category. What do you classify as a skirmisher? Yeah, so I think in general, a skirmisher is a character that wants to attack twice a turn. And that's pretty much my only categorization here for that. And I was trying to separate this into like long-ranged gun lines and close-ranged assassins and things like that. And in the end, I realized that they were both doing the exact same job, um, just with different means. So let's just ignore some characters that aren't played, right? If you want to play a melee character that does a lot of damage you have to have a good enough defensive ability and profile to to do that. So that usually means stealth, counting blanks, rerolls, uh, all that stuff, right? So yeah. like your Psylocke's of the world. Martial artist. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
or you need um, something like the access to exceptional, the fact that, you know, and healing factor. So X23, she has a defensive reroll. So as a three threat, she's pretty defensive. So she can kind of, she can move twice to get into where she wants to be to start charging and fighting people without dying because of exceptional healing. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's what it takes to be melee. I think you have to have really, really good stats. And that, but they both want to score points by doing the same thing. They both want to get models off the table. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, denying activations, I think, is, is the thing. And you mentioned like melee versus long range. So labeling both of those as skirmishers, what would be some examples of more long range style skirmishers? And, and you mentioned the caveat of attack twice. And and I think within that framework, who would you label there? Yeah, so I think that the OG OG Bucky, Winter Soldier, right, at three threat, um, he has Hydro Tactics and he has a range five attack. Um, his his triggers aren't consistent, but I think if you if you don't need the days, I think he still has the highest average damage output over the course of a whole game out of any three. And yeah. then the other big one is Cosmic Ghost Rider. And and I almost don't want to mention this, but his target selection is just, it's unparalleled, right? Like he yes. can get out of range of any bodyguard, any taunt uh, because of his combination of abilities and mobility. And then he's attacking twice with two very good gainers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's, that, it's very good. Hellfire Blasters, range four on that big base is just, whew, it's spicy. Yeah, and so spicy. so that's a character that can attack twice, right? So yep. like that's gonna be that's your that's your high end at a six threat, and then I think Winter Soldier is your high end at a three threat for range. X twenty three is your high end for melee. Uh, what what do you think a good a four slot skirmisher would be? I think a good four threat skirmisher is definitely Logan. I mean, he fits that mill really good with his placement on his attack. So that way you're mm-hmm. in there. You get to move around while also doing that damage, I think, is a really strong ability. I mean, I'm on the record of saying Logan is really good. And then yeah, he's, he's really good. Yeah. And then when you look at the ability that he has for four defense dice on physical and energy, I mean, even if your opponent has a mystic attack, like you said, exceptional healing is a thing that exists and yep. should be restricted, but that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> but I think I think Logan and another one would be the uh, Apex Predator Sabretooth, I think is a very good skirmisher that is yeah. overshadowed because of how good and versatile Logan is. But I think mm-hmm. Sabretooth Apex Predator is one that probably needs a little more love because anytime I've seen him on the tabletop, he is a menace. And it's one of those things where I think he does a lot of interesting things where if he gets his power on his own, that's good for you. If he's if he's doing what he needs to do to gain his power, you're good. But if you start going into him, saddle up, saddle up, because it's going to get real bad real quick. Yeah, absolutely. I think Apex has one of the highest ceilings in the entire game at their threat level, right? Which is a huge, valuable stat. Yes. And that access to exceptional healing is really great. And... um you know, it's one of those things where I think skirmisher is a role that you can put onto a lot of characters and it's just 
what do you want from your skirmisher? In and I think that that's really where you can draw the line of of what you're trying to accomplish within your matchups. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, almost any character can kind of skirmish. That's the beauty of this game, right? Is like when you need a Wong to fight, uh, you know, there's a chance. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I was uh watching a game recently also from uh some friends were playing, and I think another character that can play that skirmisher role in a really interesting way that I think mm-hmm. does not get played often is Squirrel Girl. Yeah, no, 100%. I'm I'm on record, actually, of saying that she's basically as good as Logan. I think she would be better than him if Exceptional was limited, was restricted. I think she would take his spot almost immediately, or maybe Apex, but probably her. And uh, yeah. in web specifically, where she can reroll skulls, she's even stronger. Oh, yeah. And that's the thing. I think she's one of those characters that it's the four threat slot is so contested right now. But yep. when you really take a step back and look at what you're trying to get, I think Squirrel Girl plays really well in the places that Logan doesn't. Right. Like, I don't think Logan plays particularly well with Web Warriors. Don't get me wrong. Right. You can put Logan with Web Warriors. <laughs> But you put yeah. Squirrel Girl with Web Warriors, and then she's getting those re-rolls. I mean, shoot. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. And and Web Warriors is a list, too, where their tactics cards are really tight. Um, and so if you need a character that does what Logan does, but you can't bring Exceptional because you don't have the space, bring Squirrel Girl, and she's going to do that job of of dueling people on a side point. Like, she's going to beat two, three threats a lot, most of the time. Yeah. On, yeah. on her own. She's really good. Really good. And she's very underplayed. I, I, Yeah, I'm glad we're on the same page here, Binks. So another one that I want to talk about here in terms of you mentioned long range guys. Yeah. Do you feel like that Cable fits into this skirmisher role? Because Cable is one of those characters that I want to love constantly. I love the changes that they gave him. I think that the yep. changes that he received were some of the best changes that happened, even though I still wish he'd have gotten an extra die it <laughs> on that, on that plasma rifle. I think everybody yeah. still wishes that, but I really <laughs> like what he did. Do you feel like though, that he fits this skirmisher role while also having a little flavor of defender in there? Yeah, that's definitely where I would classify him. So I think he's one of the best skirmishers in the five slot. Um, maybe the best, um, his competition being what Ultron two and, Ulick, Ulick, yeah, Ulick, yeah, he's a great one. Yeah, so I think that would be his main competition, right? So Ulick is a little more mobile, uh, but not the cable slow. Um, cable has a higher high end, right? Because he can throw size fours. Right. So once you've burned brace, there's turns where cable could take out three people. Ulick can't do that. Yeah. Or no, no, he has a throw as well. No, yeah, he has a so, throw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd say those are comparable models, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think cable you would bring if he's affiliated or if you really value the incinerate. So, like, if your list is going to have a tougher time taking down a Hulk, then I think Cable is going to be your pick over Yuluk. Yeah. And I think uh, if if one of or the other is affiliated, you probably go with that model. Yeah. No, that's that's exactly it. And I do have others that I want to talk about here because I, I think Skirmisher, again, is the broadest category. And Suits, yes. I know some of y'all are out there being like, well, what about New Carol? Or insert <laughs> other character. I know that uh-huh. y'all are 
thinking these things. So here's what I want you to do, Suits. This is the call to action part of the show. Apparently, it's a thing you're supposed to do, so I'm doing it. Anyways, <laughs> I'm ridiculous, dude. This is, this is I think, why people love this show. Anyways. Yeah, that's why I love this show. There you go. So let us know. Send us comments on the Facebook post for this episode. Send us messages, housepartyprotocolpod at gmail.com. Send us uh, messages over on the Discord if you're a part of that community. And, and let us know in the feedback section other characters that you think could fit into these different archetypes because I think that this is a, a good discussion here. And I keep saying archetypes. I mean roles. But either way... Let us know that, and if you want to become part of the Discord community, check out patreon.com slash housepartyprotocol for as little as a dollar a month, or let me do that math real quick, 12 bucks a year, you can join the single best community on the internet. I love it so much. It's it's just it's just great. I just love it, and and we've got a lot of fun stuff going on over there, and and we'll talk more at the end of the episode. I'll really give you the hard sell later, but but I love it. I think Binks loves it, so that's the thing. I love it, and if you're interested in timelines, uh, one of the suits, um, Sweet Tea and Honey, I believe is her name, or uh, Sweet Tea and Coffee. Sweet Tea and Coffee, yeah. Yeah, Sweet Tea and Coffee. I'm sorry. Uh, she put up the best list ever of every character that's included in that, but also every character that was discluded um, as well as tactics cards. So that's a great way to get into timelines if you're interested in that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and shout out to all the suits over there. Just incredible stuff. So next category here is enablers. And this is one that I think doesn't get enough love in MCP is the mm -hmm. characters that enable other characters to, to turn up to 11 or something like that. So how do you yep. categorize an enabler? Yeah, so enablers is another sort of broad category, right? And and I basically just think of it as a, am I helping another model do something? So the the examples that that I prepared ahead of time are uh, Wong, so he can donate a power. That's super huge for characters, like especially webs who play Wong a lot. If you get one power extra on a web warrior, that means you're now doing a move, a web swing, and then a midline attack almost always, mm -hmm. and you're going to gain power on a six dice attack a lot of the time, and a lot of those have displacements or other bonuses. Or mm -hmm. or it's something like um, uh, Gwen, with two power, can move, move, webline, and yes. just capture a point, right? So so Wong, he's a back point sitter where he's going to score a point, which, which a lot of teams need, at a, especially at two threat, that's just the value, right? Yeah, But then also, indirectly, by giving one power away, he also is scoring you another point. Um, so that's comparable to something like Spider-Woman's Interrogate, which is obnoxious for a two-threat. Could you imagine? Uh, um, that's amazing. So that's super powerful, right? So that's one enabler. Then another example on here I've got is Mordo. Um, <sighs> he's going to give somebody two dice, which once again, characters like Apex that really need their power, you give them two dice, like now that power train starts rolling earlier, that character is going to murder people. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's something one of my locals actually showed me, that exact combination. And uh, I have never been tabled so hard. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then... Mordo, I'm uh, going to take a second to talk about Mordo here because yes. <laughs> I'm on record with my love-hate relationship with Mordo because that dude does one thing and he does it really well, and that is give people dice. And you mentioned yep. Apex Predator... So when Mordo gives you dice, you take one damage. Apex has healing factor one. Amazing combination. I love it so mm -hmm. much. 
But Mordo is a character that when he's hitting his triggers, he can be so good. And there's enough out there in the world of MCP now for the condition game where you can soul barb sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds really weird to say it like that, but it's true in that when, when he can like do more than just give the dice, things get really spicy. Like being able to pass a hex or an incinerate or even a slow off to someone you mentioned web warriors and not necessarily that Mordo fits all in with web warriors, but being able to say, okay, here you go, have some more slow out there, you know, or if your opponent shakes it on a character, Mordo can potentially get it back with a soul barb, which I really do like that. But, but his ferocity of Sidorak is one of those things where if he was a slightly better character, quote unquote, this is a weird way to say it. He would be played everywhere. But the fact that he has that two physical defense is what keeps him from being played all over the place because Ferocity of Sidorak is an excellent superpower. Do you, do you mind if I push back on you for just a moment? Push back. I'm here for it. All right. So two phys- two defense. People people get so caught up on this number. So Mordo has six health on his healthy side. Yep. Six health is high for a three. So some, some quick math. Uh, th- I've done it on Venom, so I'm going to use Venom as an example. Venom has a 10% chance to die to two five dice energy attacks with his two energy defense and seven health. Mm -hmm. A six health character with three energy defense has a 17% chance to die to that same thing. Yeah. Well, I can, I think in practical, like hits to kill terms. Yeah. Um, health matters way more than defense. You know, one defense is a half a dice, not even three eighths of a dice, right? Yeah. It's less than a half a damage. Um, so he has a full health. So he's actually tankier against physical attacks than a lot of threes that are played. So I actually agree with you on this and that his six health really matters. It's the same thing with ancient one and ancient one has a couple other tools to do mm-hmm. things, but I can tell you, you know, that 17%, I have found it every time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I'm the poster child I, I'm for in that house with you. Well, that's 17%. why I do the math, right? Cause I, I have to, I have to believe I'm making the right decision, right. even though I still got one shot by the four dice attack. Right. Exactly. But, uh, but exactly. yeah. <laughs> so, it, you know, and, and that's the thing. It's actually one of the reasons why I love this game is because that's the kind of thing that happens. And, you know, you wire your brain to say two, two defense. Oh my God, it's terrible. It's really not that bad. But it's yeah, one it feels of those. Bad. It feels bad when you're rolling, right? Because it's not fun to roll two dice. Right, exactly. It feels awful. It like, does it's just it feels bad. It's kind of like um, New Steve's leadership. There are times where it feels bad to do it. Like, it, it's like, oh man, if I, this charge is good, but I won't have the power to use my leadership. And that feels horrible. But right. it's still the right decision. Yeah. And it's still strong. And I think that's how two defense characters feel. It's like, it's still the right decision to bring them. You know, like, you can bring Venoms versus, you can bring Venom versus Guardians. It's fine. Yeah. You know, if your if your list can otherwise deal with them, you know, being able to pull somebody in and then like, you know, hit them a couple times like that's good anyway. Oh, yeah. You know, I think Venom has other problems that make him, you know, tough to win with. Uh, yeah. But I but Mordo, I think he's underplayed, too. I think yeah. he's really good. And I don't think the two physical defense is as big as people think. I think yeah. it just feels bad in the moment. So I'll, I'll tell you my secret sauce currently with Baron Mordo, and it is. Yeah. Playing Baron Mordo in Cabal with new Ultron Metal Tyrant and 
making the grunts roll six dice. It's it's nice. That is miraculous. And it gets them a little squishier to get the one damage. Exactly. So you can if you play it right. (laughs) I wouldn't go that far. It's a. it's one of those fun things where those grunts specifically, and when you and and so you play it in Cabal, it's it's fun and it's good, and it, you know grunts rolling six dice is awful but awesome. But then you <laughs> play that combination in Convocation, and all of a sudden you're like, okay, well I'm going to make sure that I my grunts die, and and I can control when that happens for the Ironbound books stuff. Yeah, and Iron Brown Books, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, it turns physical attacks into mystic attacks, so he gets his defense too. Yes. Like the double wilds. Yes. Yeah, that's, ooh, that's spicy. Yeah, so, so yeah. And that model is sick looking. It Have really you painted is. yours yet? Uh, not yet, but it will be. It is on the painting table. I was actually, I slept in today and before this podcast, and I was planning on priming at some stuff, but, uh, you know, life yeah. uh, finds a way. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, anyways, I think we've spent enough time on Mordo. The last thing I do want to say about him real quick, though, is if you're playing into an attrition strategy, Mordo really helps with that. And I, I know it seems weird that he doesn't do the damage himself all the time, but he does have the potential to hex people, which even though it's a trigger and you're a low percentage chance on it, I think it's only like a quarter of the time or something like that. Yep. That exists, though, and being able to hex people at that range that he can do it, which is range four. Yeah, I almost said three. It's range four that he can hex people is really nice. And then again, tuning up your other models so that their attrition gets more intense is an underrated value, in my opinion. Yes, 100%. Also, two dice when you're already at an even success is better, right, than like... Let's say that you had a situation where you're doing four attacks. That's going to get reduced by their defense dice twice if you're doing two four dice attacks. Yeah. Versus him passing his two dice to someone else. They're only getting reduced by the original character's dice, right? So it's like they're like two dice, but they're two dice that ignore defense almost. You can kind of think of them that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it is exactly it. And Mordo has the power generation where he can just, cool, I'm going to move over to this objective, sit here, generate some power, and now it's online. So good. Mm-hmm. Anyways, let's go through a couple more enablers because I think that Mordo as an enabler just for that attrition game is one that gets overlooked a lot. But what are a couple other ones? Yeah, so a couple other ones. So uh, I've got Lockjaw and Sam. Those are both characters that can move other characters. So those abilities get more powerful on characters with higher threats. Um, and then they're also underused defensively, I think. I think there are situations where... Um, you'll have a character centralized, you'll get some good attacks, your opponent maybe is playing a little wide, they'll bring a bunch of people in, and they're about to just start lighting that character up. Um, you walk up your enabler, and you move that character to the left two inches, and now they're in range of the one character they wanted to kill, but they're no longer getting shot by the other two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then I don't know, there are probably other examples of enablers. Uh, do, do, do you have any in mind that, that I haven't thought of? Um, I was thinking of Cyclops a little bit because he has field leader and because he now yep. has access to field leader with hey, yep. his current updates. He's a character that I think the way that this is worded, yes, he has to have a lot of power to do it. But with the way X-Men Blue is worded now, 
there's no reason that you can't get to six power quickly enough on Cyclops and be able to, within range four of him, advance two characters short. Yeah, no, it's a great example. And and I think that that is one of those things where if you're trying to save power to do his optic devastation, I get that. It's a fun attack. Beam five, seven dice, cool. I think his power is better spent on field leader and hit and run all day, every day. Because yeah, almost always, yeah. Unless it's denying an activation. I think that's the only time where I would use the other one. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and look, if they set up a sweet beam, you gotta take it. <laughs> I mean I got it. it's yeah, it's law. <laughs> listen, the game's about fun at the end of the day. And if you have the opportunity to tell a good story by making a suboptimal play, you're just a bad person if you don't do it. Completely agree. Completely agree. And uh yeah, I think he's a really good example. And there are others that I'm obviously forgetting. That, uh, again, call to action, let us know, suits, other enablers. But but I think that that category is one that is maybe the slimmest category, maybe, just in terms of, like, pure support. You know what I mean? I think so. Uh, one thing I want to bring up here that I've just thought of in the moment, we talked about statuses in terms of being a defender. Do we think there's any statuses that help as an enabler? I mean, yeah, I think that you could look at a character like Ronan who puts out judgment as a bit of an enabling thing where it's like we talked earlier about denying the catch-up mechanic through stun. Judgment is the same, at least as it relates to attacks. So, like, that's a nice little bit of enabling. I think that there... I think it's less interesting in terms of enabling with conditions, and maybe I'm wrong, but, like having characters that synergize with a specific condition, right? So you've got Drax who synergizes with some bleed, right? And Blade who synergizes with bleed. Those kind of things and being able, like, on a match-by-match basis to enable those synergies is cool, but I don't think that you're going to say that Drax is an enabler because he can put bleed on people and that he has some synergies and Blade has some synergies with it. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. No, I think I think you're right. I think the one I want to call out, though, is maybe incinerate. Yeah. Um, so domino range four incinerate ignores cover costs one power. Um, if you're only if you only care about her DPS, usually not the right decision. But I think that's a good ability that can enable other people. Yeah. Um, I'm failing to think of a character who has better access to it. Pyro. Pyro. Probably an enabler. Yeah. In that way. Um, yeah. But I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. As far as yeah. enablers go, I think you're right. It's a narrower category. There are less of those. It is. But also, I think it's one of those categories that is very valuable, but you mm-hmm. also, let me let me rephrase. It's very valuable, but I think that it's one of those things where people look at a character like Wong, Mordo, Lockjaw, and not so much Sam, but those three, as you're only getting one benefit and having a character that only brings quote unquote one thing to the table isn't as valuable as a character that can do more things and I think that that is a fair way to look at it but also Mm -hmm. I think it's a bit of a flawed way to look at it maybe Lockjaw is the exception like Lockjaw is he's not a one trick puppy I don't want to say that but but Uh he's kind of only gonna do one thing he's gonna teleport people and he's going to go and sit on points when he can right yeah, 
And then uh, if they if they extend too far, because I mean I do agree with you. I think his job is basically just to sit on a back point after that. Yeah. But if they if they extend too far up, there are definitely some situations where you can move throw and then move back with yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. That are underused, and that's really strong. You know, just a way to burn brace. Yes, I, I agree with you. I think that him having that throw is an underutilized part of his kit, and it's one of those things where I think it's okay though in certain situations with certain combinations of characters to have Lockjaw that teleports people up, to have Mordo that's just there to buff people. Like, Mordo in Weapon X all day, every day. Like, why is that not a thing? It should be a thing. Um, (laughs) It is in my meta, Yeah, I hate it. Yeah, I'll tell you that. It's not fun to play against. It's kind of fun to play against, but it sucks too. But it's brutal, yeah. (laughs) And then Wong, you know, he's a character that with his defensive upgrades now and then put him in a list with strange and mm-hmm. that dude's four 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 defenses if he's within Ooh. three of strange just it's awesome yeah that's spicy it's awesome so yeah, long in general i think people people uh people get so upset when their character's job is to just sit somewhere uh which which i get that's not the fun way to play but it's really valuable if you want to win it's really valuable to say okay unless my opponent wants to come out of position I'm scoring this point. Yeah, like like my favorite, one of my favorite things to do, right, is just uh, grab a spider portal with Widow and throw her one inch behind my back point on a D shape or something. Yeah. And then, you know, you it's, you know, she has stealth. She has four health, which is, you know, not nothing when you usually are only going to get one attack into her at first. Yeah. Um, You know, if you're going to send your Ulick across to deal with her, be my guest, man. Kill her. That's fine with me. You know, exactly. he's not killing the characters I need elsewhere, right? Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna make up that point on your back point, uh, and your Yulik's gonna kill a two threat. I'm fine with it. I'll make that trade. Yeah. Right. And I think um, those is a valuable role, just sitting on a back point with an objective and doing nothing else. Yeah. And as it relates to Wong, I'm spending way too much time on this because this is another one of those <laughs> categories that I just enjoy trying to find these little synergies. With Wong yep. as an example, right? If you're playing a defender's list specifically and you have Ghost Rider, people go after Wong. They go after him because they're like, well, Ghost Rider's just going to become Wong now and and when he dies and whatever. And it's it's like, cool, man. Y'all want to go hard into Wong? You go right ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, the, yeah, those attacks would have gone into Ghost Rider anyway. I'm fine with it. Right, exactly. Like, oh, oh, same, you, I'm getting the same amount of health. Exactly, exactly. So it's it's just one of those things. All yeah. right, and then um, I think we basically just covered this last category uh, based on our last decision. Uh, discuss, you know, based on the discussion of like Wong and Widow, but captors. So captors, I think this is going to do both jobs. This is your secure holders and your extract holders. I think a lot of the time you don't want them to be the same model because that makes them such a huge target and it makes them worth four, like a four victory point swing if they go down. Right. But sometimes you have to. Um, and so these characters, I think extract holders, right? Toad, I think he's unmatched in the two slot. For unmatched. That. He, he can grab it from a safe distance. He's got five health on his healthy side. You know, amazing. He's also really good on pay to flips because he can interact with them from range two. So there are situations where you can get him on the outskirts hop over, flip a point, and then hop away, and then people have to really invest to kill him. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill, he, he's he got eyes. He's the tankiest four threat, I think. Um, and then he, 
you know, so he can grab an extract and he can live. He also can throw people off points because he has good control. Yep. And he can stand on a skier without dying. Yep. So I think he's probably the best captor at his threat level. Another yep. example here is uh, Amazing Spider-Man. He can grab a center extract. He can get somewhere. He's super hard to kill. He's got 4-4-4 with, uh, or sorry, 4-4-3 full rerolls, which is crazy. It's awesome. Um, and then and then <laughs> Logan is my last example there. Um, and he can, he's really great on pay to flips. See if you can walk attack somebody and then four dice is going to win a lot of the time. Once he's got three power, he's super great as a late activation to just throw someone off a point and keep it. Yep. And he can kill people and stand on a point and not die because exceptional. Yeah. Um, and I know that I've missed some good captors. Will, why don't you help us out? Yeah. So the way I look at captors is people that, you just can't stop them from getting where they want to go and doing what they want to do. One that comes to mind for me, and I'm going to go more like underrated because I think there's known quantities in like yeah. a black cat, uh, a voodoo, right? Those those people are good at capping points and doing those things. One yeah. for me that I think, again, rework how you think about a character is Juggernaut. I think Juggernaut mm -hmm. is an incredible objective based character yes so not only does he have the big base and his nothing stops juggernaut all that stuff but you move you gain two power then you can go and interact with objectives all day every day do another move action like look if you don't get your eight eight dice strike that never works out in the first place <laughs> that's fine <laughs> you know what i mean like, yeah so be it but uh, it's one of those things where you are able to get objectives so reliably and keep said objectives so reliably with him that I think he is uh, a very much unsung objective-based character. Yeah, and he actually does a role that no one I listed does where he actually is a character that can hold both and you can feel pretty confident he's going to be able to. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He's... I think there was a lot of hype about Juggernaut at one point in this game, and I know some of it's fallen off a little bit, but he's one of those characters that it's he's he's just really good. He's really yeah. good. Yeah, well, it's because of Malekith, right? Malekith was piercing and could actually right. kill him and was throwing him into his own team. Yeah. Um, and Malekith isn't around as much anymore, so stocks are up on Juggernaut. Stocks um, so up. That's a really good call. Yeah, yeah, he's one I really like. And then uh, anyone that has, like, a long move that can get somewhere that your opponent is unexpected. You know what I mean? Like most people that yeah. play, especially on a competitive side of things, they don't really, they know when a character can get somewhere. Yep. But still it's really valuable to take someone with a long move and say, okay, cool. I'm going to run this character over here and black cat as an example of, I'm going to run this character over to this infinity formula that you thought you had at the end. And, and now it's yeah. just mine or, or it's, it's no one scoring it. And then, by the way, you're going to be staggered <laughs> to start the yeah. next turn. Yeah. The, so, there are some situations where uh, I've had a long mover get knocked down to one health really early just from a bad spike. Or maybe they're injured and at one health and they're just going to get KO'd, right? Mm -hmm. And instead of just like trying to like maybe negate one point, or maybe I can't because there's healthy people, I'll move them to like a corner of the board where they could double long move to like two different D points, for instance. Yeah. And if you want to move and hit her to kill her like spider woman or something, um, 
that's the best use out of her I could get. Yeah. At that, you know, when I'm already in that bad situation. Yeah. But because she's where she is, she could double move to either point. So if you don't keep a healthy character there, you're not scoring that point. And I'll get my value out of the character, right? Right. And that's um, just it right there is understanding that if someone comes off a point to come and get a character that has a point, it's kind of, it ends up being a neutral trade. You know. Exactly. Uh, another character that I think you can check out for for some spicy points gain is Red Skull Master of Hydra with his Hydra grunts. You know, Ooh, yep. Master of Hydra is a skirmisher all day, every day, but he brings yep. with him some of the best grunts in the game, in my opinion, in that they can just sit on a secure point and just pop, pop anyone that comes close. And yeah. It's ridiculous. Yes. No, definitely. And then if they do kill that character, um, usually you're in a bad spot because your two threat wakes up from the daze and they're still in that spot. And you don't want to activate your two threat early to move to like another two to another point where they're gonna die, right? Yes. So usually they just end up getting KO'd and the other person's gonna score. And so your two does nothing. When his grunts die he teleports them into the action and they get to shoot <laughs> right. and they're a bad target still, yes. <laughs> which is actually incredible. So yeah. Yeah. It's the worst. I hate it so much. <laughs> I, I, that's a grunt. I'll agree with you on. Yeah. I, I'm not as, as negative. I'm not as negative on grunts as a whole as you, but, but that's one that I don't love. Yep. There are a thing in the game. Yep. <laughs> all right. So I think, I think we've done a really great job at covering all five of the main roles. So why don't, we move on to the next way that we can evaluate characters. Yes, absolutely. And, and I think that keeping in mind these different roles and stuff like that as we go forward through this. So the next thing we have here is when you're evaluating models, comparing them to similar models. So what does that mean for you? Yeah. So the first thing I compare them to is models that cover their same roles. And then I try to keep it limited to models that are one threat lower their same threat or one threat higher. So I'm not comparing um, a four threat controller to Hulk because yeah. that's just never going to be fair. But I would compare a five threat controller to Hulk. Like I'll compare Juggernaut and Hulk, right? If I consider Juggernaut the controller. Yeah. Or, uh, or the new Carol. I think she's actually very similar to Hulk. And so for her, I think that's a fair comparison. Yeah. Um, and then... I think the meat of this is is just evaluating what they really do and how good it is um, in a vacuum. You know, how good is their mobility? What move, uh, what movement do they have? Um, actually, why don't we why don't we um, talk about that? Let's let's go into this. The third bullet point here is kind of just evaluate their base stats. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so so let's go mobility. Will, what do you think? What abilities are you looking for when you're trying to evaluate a model's mobility? So I am looking for two things. Out of action mobility or stacked action mobility. So I, I, get, I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but something that gives me a move and an attack is, yep. is a highly awesome mobility tool. Or yep. I'm looking at how long they move or whether they have a place. Now... I prefer the the stacked action stuff per, to other things, but places and stuff like that are are very strong with when you look at mobility. 
So you're saying that on average you prefer charge to web swing. Correct. So so web swing places you three and then gives you two dice a lot of the times. Well yeah. let's let's say it places you three. I think on average that's a fair way. Yeah. So I think for that ability, you actually gain some flexibility there because you can use that to attack, but you don't have to. So you get the opportunity to triple move. So I actually would value that over a charge most of the time. Yeah. And and it's one of those things where the mobility of it and not wanting to roll the dice is the thing I have to rewire <laughs> yeah. my brain about sometimes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like sure. a character that I look at that has a, a stat like that would be like Agent Venom because yep. Agent Venom's web swing, his doesn't give you any dice. It's just straight mobility. So I compare it favorably to a charge. And right. you're right in that like the extra dice to say I want to attack or not is really it lends itself into saying, hey, roll these dice, baby. Roll them. Roll that beautiful bean yeah. footage. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, definitely there's been situations where I'm playing Miles and it tricks me into doing an attack I probably shouldn't do, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so I'm like, oh, the throw is guaranteed. It's six dice. <laughs> right. <laughs> but that just isn't true. <laughs> it's it's never true, apparently. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. so yeah, so I think that pretty much covers most of that. I think the other things that I look for are transforms. I think that's a movement that's not one, it's not common, but two, it's it's underrated how far a transform really is. Because it's a one inch plus your base size. Right. Uh which is which is almost as far as like a place two. Yeah. Um or well sorry, not as a place two, but as a two movement tool, right? Two, so that's yeah. pretty far. Um, and then I think that's it really for movement. So, and I think we also covered the priority there really well. Um, one thing I will say is mobility is the stat that I personally value the highest out of anything period. Completely agree. Because it can be used offensively, defensively, or just to score points in situations where you couldn't. Yeah. And, and I think that that's also a bit of a play style kind of determination for you. And it's one of those things so. where you don't have to have all of your characters be these hyper mobile crazy things, but it's how they leverage their mobility is what is key with all of that. And, and that just comes from playing the games and, and seeing where the mobility really plays into it. Like a character like Zemo, OG Zemo has the amazing mobility with his charge. And then he's got his move on his, um, Master Swordsman or not Master Swordsman. Um, oh my goodness. The, yeah, it's uh, on a spender. I don't know what it's called. Steel Rush. There you go. Yeah. Oh, yep. There it is. And and so all of that stuff really creates a very mobile character, but leveraging that and putting him in a position where he can give his team the re-rolls and all that stuff is where factoring in your mobility comes in key, I think. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, so then the second thing that I'll look at when evaluating a model is their damage dice. So personally, damage, that's the thing I think is the second most important a lot of the time um, outside of like superpowers and displacement and things like that. Yeah. So for damage, the things I'm looking at are your effective range. So how often am I going to hit the targets I want to hit? Um, because if I can hit, you know, your frontline juggernaut and do no damage, I don't really care that I have access to it. Right. Like what I care about is who's safe to hit, right? Yeah. And then and then how efficient are my dice? Am I getting rerolls, double wilds, counting skulls, extra crits, um, things like that? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that the thing about damage in this game, though, is just so nonlinear. 
that yes. you have to try to give yourself the best possible opportunity to succeed. And that's why when we talked earlier, like the attrition game is a thing in MCP. You mm-hmm. can definitely do it, you know, but it's just all dice. And if you're trying to set up for a strategy like that, getting those re-rolls, getting the things that count different successes and stuff like that, and managing that effective range, I think are really key. So how, how um, when you're evaluating a character, how highly do you rate their attacks as being important? Like, do you, versus like builders, spenders, gainers, things like that, like which, which, what do you prefer? What do you think is the best? Usually? So in turn, I always look at the the builders or and or gainers as kind of the thing I'm going to be doing the most. So mm-hmm. what it, what does it do for me when I use it? And I'll use a character like Black Swan as an example of a character that I love that has yep. incredible damage output and kind of breaks that mold a little bit in what I look for in a character because she has the mobility from a charge. She has some defensive abilities with Midnight Field and um, she has some defensive abilities uh with or some offensive abilities with telepathic suggestion to where she can make them re-roll a defense die. So like total package of like offensive and all that stuff. But her spender is excellent. Yeah. With some triggers. And that's the thing is hitting those triggers and getting access to all that stuff is one where when I look at her, I see a character that is very damaging and also a little bit defensive, but in play actually not so much (laughs) she's not as defensive as it seems with midnight field but Uh but a character that has a lot of different ways to interact with the opponent and has an automatic incinerate which is wonderful on the i-beam cost her one power so you're, you're paying a little something for that but i just i don't know i love this character and i look at the thing I'm going to be doing the most with a character is what I look at when I'm evaluating them. And when I look at Black Swan, I want to use everything dies as much as possible. Yeah. And so how can I get to that? And that's through her strike, which isn't necessarily the best thing, but you give her the power right. gem, all that stuff. So that's a uh, long way. No, that way makes to total that. sense. Yeah. I, I really like that approach actually. Um, so you're kind of evaluating them, their stats, based on the role that we discussed above that you want them to fulfill. Correct. Uh, which is almost a better way to do it, right? Um, yeah, yeah, I love that. Okay, yeah. cool. So the next thing I'll look at is their defense. So for my play style, I love movement and defense. My favorite thing is just double moving. So I value defensive tech pretty high mm-hmm. and health pretty high. But uh, actual dice, um, I don't really care about them. I only roll blanks and skulls um, Same. personally. Same. So I just... I don't care how many defense dice you have. I, they mean nothing to me. They're not real. I, um, right there with you. <laughs> it's like, I, it's like, oh yeah, Miles should definitely survive this. He's got the three, then he's got the re-rolls, then he's got the Web Warrior re-roll. Blank, 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 blank. Cool, got it. Oh my gosh. So I told you I have a local player who uh, <laughs> who plays um, Mordo with his Weapon X, right? Yeah. So I had a game where I was playing Miles under X-Men. So I have a, and I was playing Storm. I was on top of a size uh, five building and his apex walks uh uses no matter the cost to six dice spender me yeah so i have three re-rolls but i don't get to count skulls uh and i get one shot and then a little bit later in the game he does like a five dice builder with a pierce and i roll 
I think it was three blanks. And so, and I think, oh, see, it must have been a spender because I got the storm reroll. Yeah. So I reroll all three of my dice into three skulls and get one shot. Um, and Miles was just rubbing it in. Yep. Um, yep. That's how it goes. Fun. Yeah. Yep. That's, okay. That's, so then the next thing I look at is displacement. Um, so what are, what are your favorite forms of displacement? Will? I mean, I've already said him once already, but being able to place characters is the primo, like that is the McRib of displacement. <laughs> I don't know if that's, uh, uh someone's, everyone's going to get that reference, but I'm just saying like, it's like, it's like the thing, you know what I mean? Like, that's like when you go and you, you order something from the store and there's like that little extra something on there. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like at the, the place they put that little flourish on there, like you you get the ice cream and they put like the cherry on the top. If you don't like cherries, they put like the piece of Twix coming out the top. Uh, who doesn't like cherries? Everyone likes cherries. They put the cherry on the top. Exactly. Right on the top. And and that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. That is the best. And Sexy Strange, Sorceress Supreme is the king of that, in my opinion. But yeah. Really, it's placement abilities, and the biggest and, reason. Uh, the new skull, right? He can place people uh, range three, I think, which is insane. Yeah, he has the same one that uh, Strange yeah. does. He just gets to do it only once per turn. Thank God. Um, <laughs> but that that idea of displacement, like, the, and there's other forms, pushes, advances. Those are forms of displacement. But yes. the one that you can can arguably rarely stop is a place. So I like that. Yeah, list. that's a great call out. And that's actually one that wasn't even on my radar because that's not a character I usually play. Um, and so I don't see that ability very often. Uh, not enough to think about it consistently. Yeah. And it's yeah, so I think, brutal. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, it's it, it can be brutal when you're like in the scrum with Doctor Strange and you you have enough power to displace like the most dangerous character range three away and they don't have any way to like really get back in and be effective. And then you can just move away. It's mm-hmm. mm, it's it's lovely it's the best it is yeah and i think for the same reason the displacement i usually lean towards is your medium range throws so short throws are great uh, in a lot of cases they're almost as good as a medium throw uh, but there are some cases where a medium throw is better uh, so you're throwing a character with a short move instead of a stagger now to get back it's yeah. their entire action so yeah. you're it's basically activating the character if they need to fight over that point oh absolutely um, and then also for a throw, you get the extra ability to sometimes you're throwing their models into each other. So sometimes you could throw a building. Well, I guess that's not really displacement, but uh, I guess that would be more in damage. That's something we didn't pick there, but it's maybe an out of activation throw where you can throw a building. That's just damage, right? Cable. Yeah. Great throw. Great damage. Um, so that's super valuable. Um, any, anything else on the displacement uh, poles, web lines? Those are uh, yeah. super great. Yeah. And and I think that that's the hierarchy of it is like yeah. a placement effect. So Thanos' cosmic portal, a placement effect, an advance effect, and then a throw and a pull push. Are, are yeah. That's like my hierarchy of how I would rate those things. Yeah. And then I think if you get those without an action, they're better, obviously. Um, and so that's that's my ideal character, right? Somebody who's mobile, has some defensive tech, and can displace somebody out of action even if it's not great. Um, so Gwen, you yep. do two of those things. I, I don't think any character can really do all of those. Maybe Bill, kind of, because the medium-based medium move is all right. Yeah. Um, and his defensive stats are incredible. Uh, his defensive tech is incredible. Um, DR1 is just super strong. DR1 to zero is super is even better. Yep. Uh, paying for it 
you know, don't always love, but but it's worth it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then unique powers. This one's hard. Um, so what are some of your... So I'll give one example of a unique power. Uh, Loki's aura. So he basically stuns if you're within three of him. You have to pay one extra power before you activate um, any superpower. Yeah. And then that stacks with stun if you can also stun them. So you could be making some people pay two power to use an ability, which is hideous. It's um, wonderful. And and those are hard to value because yeah. unique powers are, are unique, right? Yeah. So what are, um, can you think of any unique powers on some characters that you like? Uh, so a character that comes to mind for me would be Ronan with his accuser ability. And Oh yeah. That's, that's the one, the judgments, right? Uh, no. So judgment is his judgment ability. <laughs> Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's just funny that you said that's the one that judgments and it's like, no, it's actually called judgment. Um, yeah, yeah. I, you can tell I haven't read that card a lot. <laughs> yeah. The accuser is amazing because basically your opponent has to make a choice. Do I daze? Oh, that's his last activation. Right. Okay. Do I daze and or KO Ronin and allow him to, if he's got four power, hit him with the Cree justice. Mm -hmm. And, and that is, I think a really unique interaction with that character. I mean, it is, it's the only character that does anything like that. Um, yes. and it's one where I think having that on the table against some of the bigger boys out there make for a really fun and, uh, exciting way to play the game. You know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah. So I think all of these are things that you just kind of have to evaluate within the role. And I think that's a great one for him, right? He's a tanky guy who mm -hmm. is going to be way up and he's going to be contesting points. And he's going to be disabling your opponents using the judgment, right? Right. Exactly. Um, and then also having accuser on top of that makes him a less desirable target to hit, uh, which is super, super powerful, especially if you're running the four threat version of them, right? That ability is amazing because you don't want to be pumping into a four. Right. Um, whether that's the correct way to run him or not, uh, not, not in the discussion, but... But yeah. Well, yeah. And no, then, so some other unique powers are Merc with a Mouth from Deadpool. Yeah. Uh, being able to just flat remove two power can be absurd. Um, so some things you can do with that. You can turn off Sacrifice. You can turn off Brace for a future turn. Say so somebody's activated and they're next to a size four and you have a Hulk on your team. You can Merc with a Mouth that character, then run off and go do whatever you want to do to the rest of their team. And then once Hulk gets his turn, you know, you just chuck five damage into him. Um, you know. That's mm -hmm. pretty good. Um, mutant absorption for the same thing. Oh, also, God, so you know, it's not guaranteed, but there's also a chance that you absorb five power and do some extra damage to them. Yeah. Um, underrated superpower. Yeah. <laughs> super I don't know underrated. if that's true. I think everybody knows how good that one is. Okay, but maybe fair. not. Fair. Uh, another one uh, for me that I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna take here is because I want more people to play this character is Squirrel yes. Girl. She has yeah. two underrated abilities in my opinion her tippy toe takedown making it to where people don't get to do crits yep. is so good oh my gosh it is it's really good yeah and then on her injured side she's like okay cool well you're gonna double tap into me but i'm still not gonna die because i have my guardian squirrel yeah and that's an ability like you just don't realize and especially at the stage of the game where that happens that's turn four that's like that's the turn where the game is decided and then all of a sudden it's like oh wait my injured character is not gaining a point here i'm contesting now and i lose by one point yeah you yeah. know yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. And just, that's another ability that I like don't play around because you just don't see it very often because you don't see her very often. Right. Exactly. And it's, and it's not something I'm saying in terms of like playing around, but when you're evaluating a character and you're looking at these unique abilities, seeing something like that and saying, wait a second, is if my opponent has to attack, attack, and then maybe throw to end up killing squirrel girl, like just spend all of these resources to try to kill squirrel girl, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> That's a weird <laughs> one. Try saying that five times fast. Uh, <laughs> try to do that. Like, is that a win for me? Maybe it is, but being able to say, all right, if you're not able to finish the job, then squirrel girl can live and potentially score some points with her guardian squirrel. Or again, the, the tippy toe takedown, making crits, not counting all that kind of stuff. Like, I think that stuff is, that is the unique stuff. And those things don't push Squirrel Girl over the edge for me. It's like we've talked about mobility, damage, displacement, all these different things matter more than some of these unique abilities. But these unique abilities, when you're looking at comparing models, can be the thing that pushes one in front of the other. Yeah, definitely. And then... And then the last thing I'll talk about here is something I like to call X factor. And as far as I know, most people do not do this. But um, so in this game, because of the way the dice work, any character with one attack can kill any character, I believe. Like there are some situations where like you could get eight successes against a nine health character and not kill them. But for, for all intents and purposes, any character could one tap any character with one attack. Um, the odds of that are low. So I have a little bit of math. A four dice attack is doing five damage to like a, an average defense character is about one in a hundred. Mm-hmm. Hey, Which uh, means that I saw that. Can... I saw that happen in Warfare Weekend. I, I witnessed Ooh. it. Yeah. Mysterio was like, Miles needs to be relieved from living. Yeah. Yeah. And so actually, here's a good point, too. That sounds like it's really low odds. But because of the way that like repeating chances work. This is per attack, not per game. Right? Exactly. So if you attack five times in a game, it's actually like a four and, and like four point eight percent chance that it happens. So if you imagine that your two threat bullseye attacks six times on average in a game, which is probably fair, you you probably yeah. attack five times in a game. That means one in twenty games he's gonna one shot someone, which is not low odds of that happening once in a game. Like, I know it feels bad when it happens to you, but it's not that uncommon. Like, 1% is not insane. What is uncommon is doing that twice in one turn to two different characters, Yeah. right? That's a one in a thousand attacks. Like, so that that turn is rare. Um, And so that's sort of the X factor for, like, the worst case X factor, right? Yeah. So I want to talk about something that's more consistent. So, Sam, if you do a charge... And let's say you have a 55% chance to do one damage. Um, this is average of like three and a half defense is what I use to calculate that. Yeah. Uh, because most characters, a lot of characters have four and a lot have three. And yeah. I think the four is probably more the played average, but it, but it's somewhere in there. And then, and then you have a 45% chance to hit a wild trigger. So when you do all the math for both attacks hitting, doing damage, both attacks doing damage, both attacks bouncing, it's about 2%. So one in 50 Sam turns where you double attack. He's going to push two people short twice, plus their base size twice. Um, that can just win the game. Um, and that's 20 times more likely than Bullseye. 
right? Like, one in 50 games isn't a ton, but it's way more than one in a thousand. Yeah. And every character has this. And I think that was why Malekith was such an issue, because his X-Factor wasn't killing two models back-to-back. His X-Factor, because that happened, like, 50% of the time against Mm -hmm. an average defense three-threat. But doing it twice in a row was a 25% chance. And then the game is over if right. Malekith KOs two characters on turn two, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that was the big problem. And I think Cosmic Ghost Rider has that too, to a lesser extent. He can do that like 12% of the time where he'll back-to-back KO two characters. Yeah. Um, but he has better target selection than Malekith did. So it's it's almost as bad. Yeah, um, no, I, I think that's it. And seeing the math to back that up, I think is really cool. And I think you made a really good point there in the idea of, you know, 2% that Sam does the thing is, mm-hmm. is great. And it's a cool thing when it happens for the person that does it and, <laughs> and all of that. And it's one of those things where I think when you look at this game and, and you play out the math like you've done and, and kind of boil it all down, it's one of those things where, in my experience with this game, I don't track the math and the odds and the average of doing anything. But where this yep. kind of stuff matters is when, okay, I need to make a decision on whether or not I want to attack someone. So yeah. what does this attack get me? And if I have a general sense, and, and y'all know from listening to this, I don't math very well. It's, <laughs> you know, It's not something I do very well. But I do know what should generally be successful and what what I can expect to do, like, do I expect that my four dice attack is going to go and take out a five or six health model if they're fully healthy? I don't expect that. And when you're rolling your dice and you're expecting that outcome, you're setting yourself up for failure. Right. Yeah. And that's a good point, right? These X factors, uh, X factor things, I don't expect them to happen. Uh, maybe never once when I'm playing. Right. Yeah. But if the play you make is good anyways, and then you happen to get the follow-up because that play is just happens to be right. Like there are lots of situations where the right play is to go for a double attack push on one character and you just happen to hit everything and you get a huge advantage because of that. Right. Uh, but I wanted to be in the spot I was at anyway, and I wanted to make that first attack anyway. And then because of the result of the first attack, the second one ended up just being a good choice also because I already did everything I needed. Um, Because the odds of getting one push on the one character with both attacks is high. Yeah. You know, it's like 75% to to do the fit, you know, because you just need to 55% twice. So you've got like more than 75% chance to get one push. Right. Which is great. And and that's still Um, valuable. Yeah. Yeah. And that's valuable. So it's like, so sometimes you just win the game on accident. Right. And so I think models... If you really want to break it down to get the most competitive list you can, and I don't think you should do this math for everyone, right? But it should just be something you vaguely consider. You know, like, oh, does this model have a chance to do something absurd? Like yeah. push two characters medium, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that when we're looking at this and we're compare, and again, this is under the like comparing similar models factor, is like yeah. this is the lowest thing on the hierarchy for me anyways, because, because it is, you're you're not trying to see what the high percentage thing is going to be. This is the, like, and like you said, at any point in this game, 
it's the math is ridiculously high on it but at any point in this game you can roll five dice and you can have five crits and then you can roll five wilds on those five crits you know what i mean right. like like that's a thing yep. that is within the realm of probability yes. however in practice it's never going to work out that way but the right. idea that you you stack these things on another model on it to create that x factor it's like the little thing that pushes them over the edge yeah, exactly. And I think in a broad sense, you'll see that in the win rates over a lot of games because these things will happen to people. Uh, and But I don't think in any individual game it's something you should plan for, but I think it's just something you should be aware of when you're roster building, right? Like if two characters to you are equal, but one of them can just win the game one in a hundred times, it might be worth picking that character if you'd like yeah. them anywhere close to as much, yeah. right? And And the balance in MCP is amazing. Like, with very few outliers, characters are similar at their threat levels, and they're very well balanced. So as long as you're building a team of characters that fulfill roles that synergize together, so like if I'm if I'm playing webs, for instance, you know I want characters who can who are good captors, and I want characters who are good um, controllers. Those are my two things that I want, and then otherwise I kind of want to just be defensive. You know, but those are the two roles. And so as long as my team, anything I pick the, to work with them is going to support that game plan, then any character in those roles will, will work well yeah. enough in 99.5% of cases. Yeah. And and you mentioned balance, which is definitely a broader topic all on its own. But I'm firmly in the camp that, again, couple outliers notwithstanding, MCP is a very well-balanced game within the structure of threat values and stuff like that and and again there are there it's a curve i've said this before a million times and yeah. right at the top of the curve is the perfectly balanced character and you're gonna have people on either end of that tippy top part of the curve and yeah, so that curve is just narrow now you know it's right just... <laughs> right yeah it is and so you know when you're trying to to look at these characters and stuff. And this, again, from a competitive perspective, looking yeah. at where that X factor comes from and stuff like that. But but at the end of the day, if you like playing Venom, if you like playing uh, Sin, which I don't know why you would like playing <laughs> Sin currently because she needs some help. But if you do like playing her, then play her. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like that's the thing. Like, there, there's no reason. The, the little differences between a four threat and another four threat that are within the same role that you're trying to fill. If you like a character better, like I, I like cable as a five threat character. I want to play more cable. So I'll find ways to make him successful in tabletop. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I don't believe that there's a character outside of maybe sin that's bad enough to where you can't do it. Yeah. Right. And even sin, you probably can look, um, you can you, get it close. You can have some fun, casual games with sin. And that's the thing. Like, I think Sin is a character that works casually, not as much in a competitive sense. But again, if you're trying to play competitively, you know, finding those those things in similar characters and then saying, is the is that X factor thing, is that one percent chance of doing something more valuable to me than having a character I really love on the tabletop? And if that answer is yes, then there you go. But if it's not, like I want Black Swan on the tabletop more. But you know what? I don't play her often because I don't get what I want out of her from a value perspective. And I don't play things to put her in the best possible chance to succeed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know exactly. what I mean? So it, it just 
it is that way. And I've, I've been thinking lately about ways to play her more and trying to set her up to succeed. And, you know, there, I think there are ways to make that happen. Yeah. Anyways. Very cool. So now we're up on the final step here is going to be plan for the worst your model can do. So this doesn't necessarily mean assuming that your dice are all blanks and the character does nothing. You know, I think it's safe to assume average dice numbers. But you want to evaluate your characters as if your opponent is doing everything they possibly can to prevent them from performing at their best. Mm. So if your character is Loki and you have a disable aura, they're staying without a three of it if they can. If your uh, character is Apex Predator, they're trying to deny him as much power as they can and keeping him out of range the best they can, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, if your model needs priority to be effective... Your opponent's trying to deny you things like that. Oh yeah, I I I am uh, super guilty of playing to deny priority to a fault at times. It, it's it's such an interesting thing. Like I uh, played recently with a friend of mine, and he was like, "Look, you're so worried about giving me priority that you're not making the right plays." And I'm like, "Hmm, yeah." <laughs> <laughs> So. Yeah, no, and I think that's a super good point, and I think I'm guilty of that, too. Um, definitely, like, I was playing a game the other day. I've been playing Steve 3, and I was just getting tabled uh, because I had made a bunch of bad decisions. And at some point, I was like, well, if I give my opponent priority, I'm probably losing a character before I can activate them. But I also just needed the damage output immediately. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to hope that Steve can daze three models and he just, he miracle played for me and he did it. Um, wow. Which is the only reason I won that game. Uh, he just, he just decided that he didn't want to lose. He, he actually straight up did all the damage to KO and days four characters, which is insane. Yeah. Um, yeah. I got sure. super lucky, but, but sometimes, you know, you just got to give it up. You got to take the damage where you can get it and, and hope that the other side of your table wins, you know? Yeah. And in the vein of planning for the worst, so what would have been the worst outcome there? It's like, so you, you ended up getting these three dazes and it's like, yeah, that's like the X factor amazing moment. But what would have been your play, so to speak, in that instance, if you hadn't have been able to succeed with those attacks? Sure. So the plan for the worst in this case isn't really the plan in your game. The plan for the worst is like how you're evaluating the character's strengths as if I your see. opponent's playing around you. I see. Right? Yeah. So in, in this particular case, my plan for Steve is he has a charge and he throws five dice attacks. And with his own leadership, he bounces those super consistently, at least one of the two attacks or yeah. uh, almost always one of the two attacks because the five die is very likely to do one damage to get me the power. So the way I play him is I play super aggressively. Um, he'll take some damage and gain power, hopefully. Unless my opponent ignores him, in which case I'm already in their face. So that's how I plan around his bad case of not having power to charge, right? Yeah. And then if they commit to attacking him, I often bring fallback. And so they'll if they don't daze me in one hit, I can get out of range and I can charge back in with enough power to use his trigger the next round. And so so for me, I'm like spending a tactics card on him a lot of the time and then trying to pair him with Luke or something to, to you know, save him after that. And then once he flips, I'm just, he's on his own. You know, he counts blanks and I just pray for the best. Um, yeah. I just get the most out of the leadership on the characters I can. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. And so when looking at plan for the worst from a character perspective, yeah, what 
do you feel like when you're when you're evaluating the character and you're saying, okay, I've I've got my kind of character evaluation steps, like we talked about, of of comparing to similar models, looking at how their abilities interact and all that stuff, and like with all the characters we went through and everything there, and then planning for the worst. Where does that fall, like in the hierarchy of trying to decide whether or not a model should be included in your roster and or squad and do you feel like that that's kind of one of those things you have to kind of evaluate in the moment more so than at the totality of the character? So I think that this plan is the part where your intuition is, is the most important and it feels like one of those just draw the rest of the owl steps, right? Yeah. Um, but I think that this step is the most important part towards getting a realistic idea of the output of a character. So yeah. I'll give you an example that I think most of us are familiar with that you learn by fighting at one time, right? Immortal Hulk. You, the first time you fight him, you're like, oh, I can get three characters kind of grouped together and death ball him and I can burn him down. And then what he does is he double leaps across the board and he kills all three of your characters in one activation because yep. he throws them into each other three times. Yep. Right? And... I think when you're playing Immortal Hulk, that's what you expect him to do every game. But if your opponent has played against him a single time, then they'll never death ball again because they will have hopefully learned their lesson the, the first time, right? Yeah. And so, so what Immortal Hulk actually does is he, his worst case is that he splits your opponent's team. So that can be huge for your other models that are good at skirmishing and split fights, right? Yeah. Because it's never safe for them to group up because Immortal Hulk, if you have his tactics card can double leap and start going to town. So they're never allowed to do that during the entire game. Otherwise, they've stopped playing around Immortal Hulk's best case. Right? Right. And so that's kind of how I would evaluate him, is that in his worst case, he's not killing three characters anymore. He's killing one, maybe two. Um, But he also is disadvantaging your opponent all the time because they have to play a certain way to play around him. Yeah. And that's valuable. Yeah, no, I think... you build your roster around him. I think you're exactly right. And setting those characters up for success and understanding also, I think where this really comes into it is understanding what a character's weakness is in a sense. It's, you know, dice aside, like you said at the jump, it's understanding what your opponent can do to mess up what you want to do with that character. I look at a character like Beta Ray Bill as an example of a character who, while he can move out of activation movement with his honor bound or aggressive, that's if, you know, as soon as you play against him one time, you realize, okay, I don't want him to come after me if I can displace him in some kind of way, force him to use his action economy to get to where he needs to go, he's at least a little bit less efficient. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So like, so that, so Bill's a great example, right? Is that he, he doesn't really have a lot of X factor potential, um, but he's so consistent. And even his worst case of move, move, throw is like pretty decent most of the time. And oh, yeah. he can do that at least every other turn. Uh, assuming he's, you know, yeah, he can just do that at least every other turn, uh, which is really powerful. Yeah, exactly. And, Understanding those weaknesses of your characters, right? I think is is really what planning for the worst is, and yeah, it's really hard to do. In my experience, is I know, for instance, what Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme's weakness is. 
And yeah. it's not physical attacks, really. I mean, it is, but it's really not. And yeah. and it's it's the fact that you want to place and move and attack and do all the stuff, and you want to get as many places off as possible. But you're not always mm-hmm. going to be able to do that. And you got to bet on the dice sometimes. But at the same time, you know, again, dice notwithstanding, what what does this model want to do and what is my opponent trying to do to keep me in line and that is you know denying me the power all that kind of stuff and and like it's uh, it's just really interesting to wrap your head around that and i think that this is as a concept the hardest thing in this whole episode to understand yeah and and i t- and i totally agree with that because it it kind of caps depending on your experiences in the game and your player skill right yeah like and not to, that's not derogatory towards anyone. I think every this game just has a learning curve where there's 150 characters that you need to understand what they do and how they interact together, and nobody knows all of them together, right? No one, no one, period. Not uh, yeah. not Kirkov, no one. <laughs> and um, and the more games you play, the better your intuition will be for what's possible and what's average and things like that, and how to play around certain certain things. Uh, but this exercise, doing it with your own roster, thinking like. I'm trying to think of some more characters that depend on priority, but like, and characters <laughs> like Ghost Spider. Yeah, she's definitely one. I mean, really, it's anyone with powerful control effects, and those control effects, like we talked about earlier, can be a myriad of things. But specifically, the ones like Ghost Spider with her pole, or Doctor Strange with his place, even Doctor Strange, the OG version with his bolts of bedevilment, being able to push people when they do damage and additionally his ability to activate someone like that's an example where I think going later isn't necessarily an advantage so you might want your opponent to activate first with the threat of a crimson band sitting there and then you're like okay well if you don't activate a mortal hulk well guess what he's getting activated yeah exactly yeah and then there are situations where you have priority but you would like to lose it mid-round so that you can activate something like a hulk or a ghost rider late um yeah. and it can be to your advantage yeah um so that's a way that you can plan for the worst right is let's say that you have four characters that you plan to have on the field together a lot that all want to activate the last activation well then that means by definition three of those characters are going to be underperforming every game yeah yeah and, and it's it's an interesting again it's it's that concept of just really hard to wrap your head around and it's and this is again just how we view this stuff. It doesn't mean that this is the hard and fast rule that you should take with you every time you look at some MCP stuff. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, hundred percent. No, the the way you play the game too is definitely going to be the biggest difference in whether you win or lose. Right. Even even I think more than the models you choose, you know, I think some of the best players could literally pick random lists that make the point values, maybe even leadership lists and could probably beat most of us, uh, me included. Oh, yeah. I To quote Leland, I am a potato. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And this is one of those things where I think what we've done here on this episode today, which is officially the longest house party protocol episode that has ever been recorded so that's the thing Sorry. It, no you know what it's i feel like it was good we did take some time on things that i didn't think we would but that's my fault uh and it's one of those things where i think it was valuable 
to go through a lot of this stuff because this is something that I know a lot of newer players. We've got a lot of newer players in uh, a shop that I play at here locally. And them, when they bring their characters out, it's like, hey, is this something that you would look at with this character? And and how about, how do you do this thing over here? And, you know, we had like a, a roster building workshop locally, right? And then mm-hmm. I think a podcast like this, I can point to them and say, hey, you know, if you're trying to to level up your game a little bit, there's a really good resource here in the form of this episode to say how you evaluate these characters. And I think that we've definitely, you know, had had a meandering conversation at times, but in a good way to kind of, I think, get the point across. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I'd prepared a little game, uh, which I think because we're so long already, we probably don't want to do the whole thing. But basically what I was going to do is I was going to have, I was going to try to on the spot evaluate what I thought of Black Swan, which is a character that is not very played that I have never played. Um, and kind of suppose based on reading her card, what I imagine her weaknesses would be. And then sort of confirm those with you. Let's have it. And then I was going to have you do the same thing with Wasp, which is another underplayed character that I like. And then I thought we would go ahead and like evaluate uh, spectacular Spider-Man or maybe amazing Spider-Man together. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so here's what I want to do. So for the suits out there that are listening, this will be the end of the episode right now, right? So we're gonna have a little bonus Patreon content, right? So yep. <laughs> with that being said, suits out there, if you're listening, thank you so much for sticking with us to the end of this mammoth, giant-sized episode, if you will. I really appreciate it. It's it's been a really good conversation to kind of unpack how a thought process is that is something that I can easily take for granted because I've been involved in this game for as long as I have. And to your point you made earlier, Binks, no one knows everything about this game. I'm sure that I surprise people when I roll up to the tabletop and they're like, oh, you're Will from House Party Protocol. I'm like, yeah. And I, was, and I ask them like, hey, what does that guy do again? <laughs> it's like, I don't. Yeah, we're the most plugged in people, right? Right, I go on right. Discord every day. That's and it. I don't know half of what some characters do. That's it. And and it just be like that. You know, it is what it is. But anyways, Seuss, thanks so much for listening. Make sure to leave a review on your podcast platform of choice if that's an option for you. I would love to also hear from you out there. You can send us emails, housepartyprotocolpod at gmail.com. Messages on Facebook, also a great way to interact. If you're on Discord, you can find me at HPP underscore Will in kind of all the major Discord channels out there. and uh, Or Darth Balls 05, and that's uh, Balls with a Z because, you know. I mean, you know, you just, you know. <laughs> my, my EverQuest handle when I was a teenager was Justin Extreme, which is uh, my first name with a really dumb adjective added. Oh, so, yes. And, uh, and it no was just the X. Whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it goes. So, anyways, reach out to me over on Discord if you want to chat about anything uh, here that we talked about on the podcast. And then, uh, lastly, Definitely check out the Patreon if that's something that interests you. It's only a dollar a month. Uh, we have another tier, and you get some benefits there. But really, it's a dollar a month, and uh, it's really only here to support the hosting of the show and the giveaways that I run uh, from time to time over here. It's just it just pays for that stuff. I'm not trying to do any kind of thing, but 
I got to say, I love the community that's popped up in the House Party Protocol Discord. It is incredible. I love it so much. And it's one of those things where when I started this podcast, I never expected such a wonderful community of people that I can confidently call friends to pop up around it. And it's, it's, it's an amazing and humbling thing. And if you want to be a part of the best place on the internet, I know it sounds weird. It sounds like I'm a shill, but just come and check out patreon.com slash house party protocol and you'll get access to the discord. It's a great place. Binks can attest. Literally the best dollar a month I spend. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's great. So I appreciate everyone over there. And then uh, lastly, make sure to uh, give some love to battle Kiwi and use the promo code party Kiwi. There's a link in the description to their website and uh, make sure you set it to whatever your region of, of monetary value is because it's in New Zealand dollars. And when you look at New Zealand dollars and you change it to us, you're like, what? But or, yeah, it's so affordable. It's like $45. It looks amazing. I have one actually. Yeah. Um, and they have some really great choices for designs. Exactly. And they'll do custom ones if you just email them. So like they're super cool oh. over there. But yeah, definitely make sure you change it to USD because the New Zealand dollars make it look like it's more expensive than it really is. It would be worth that much anyway. Yes, exactly. Agree. So uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, real quick, though, the last thing I'm going to say to just, you know, just call me shill instead of will over here. Um, <laughs> is <laughs> I'm going to do my very first like Patreon exclusive little segment, if you will. And it's going to be what we mentioned here, where we're going to go through a couple characters and like on the spot, evaluate them based on the criteria we've laid out in this episode. So if you want to check that out, that's going to be on the Patreon. It's going to be exclusive over there. So it feels weird to do that. But at the same time, I, it's the perfect opportunity. And uh, yeah, so check that out. Yeah, so join us over there. It's going to be super fun. With that, party on, Binks. Party on, Will. And power down, Suits. Suits.